0: Well, this morning we're going to start just a short series, five weeks, uh, over the, uh, the next five weeks to look at some passages that connect Christmas and the cross. Over the years that I've served as, as a pastor, I have typically gone to one of the two Gospels and kind of dug into the Christmas story each year. And I, as I was laying out this year's series of messages, I was thinking, Lord, this would be a time to maybe do something a little different. And so instead of looking exclusively at one of the Christmas stories, my plan is to come to the Christmas story with a little different perspective and to look at the passages that kind of point us to the story and to the big picture. Uh, In so many ways, the two major holidays uh, in the Christian faith are Christmas and Easter, of course. And those are the two that kind of serve as pillars of our faith. In Christmas, we remember His birth about the gift that He gave us. In Easter, we remember the work of Jesus defeating death, rising from the dead, and, and defeating sin and death. And so as we move through the weeks, I want to encourage you, uh, to look at the entirety of Christmas of the Christian story uh, from cradle cradle to grave to resurrection because in this in that possibility in that arc that we find the possibility of new life now I want to start with a passage that you don 't normally typically associate with Christmas one from Philippians Philippians chapter four uh, if you remember the story Paul had uh, helped plant the church at Philippi based on that Macedonian call he came across the the Aegean Sea with him and his team, and they came across some women who were down by the riverbank worshiping God. Uh, one of them was named Lydia. And in that moment, uh, the gospel, uh, when they received Jesus, came to the European continent for the very first time. And then, of course, you know, the story goes on in, in Acts, that then the jailer, the Philippi, was saved and others were saved and a church was established there. And so that church had a, a very diverse background. You had wealthy merchants, you had poor uh, slave individuals. You had jailers who worked for the Romans. You had all kinds of people came together to create that church uh, and uh, created uh, a new life there in Christ. And he wrote, Paul came back years later and wrote a letter to them uh, because they were facing some hardship. They were facing some humility, but they also had hope. Hope in Jesus, which I pray that we have that as well. And so with that context laid out, let's look at the words of the text, starting in verse 4 of chapter 4. And Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that as we take a look at this passage this morning and think about the pathway of peace that you call to have us walk on, regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of the trials or easy times that we're facing, regardless of what comes into our lives, that, God, you want to bring us into a place where we walk with you in peace. God, I pray that we would see that, we would take that into our lives, and, Father, we would let you work a work in us that is truly miraculous and amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this passage, I want to point you to three decisions that we have to make before we find this pathway of peace. And as we enter this season of the year, I want us to be a people who say this to ourselves, maybe even to each other. I'm going to live as a person of peace. I'm going to live a peaceful life. I'm going to live a life that honors God no matter what goes on around me because I want to be a person that God would be pleased with in my life. So the first choice we have to make is this. We have to choose rejoicing. You say, well, I thought rejoicing comes from a response to the environment around me. I I would tell you that I think the exact opposite is true in Christian faith, that we have to decide that we're going to choose rejoicing. I suspect the first challenge we face if we're going to discover God's peace is this. We have to decide what our default response to life is. You know, all of us have a default in life. Some of us see the uh, the glass as what? Half full? Some of us see it as half empty? Some of us see it as broken and not even worth holding anything together. <laughs> you know, we all have different ways of looking at it. But for Christians at Philippi, they're facing hardship, they're facing opposition, they're facing difficulties, and in that environment, it would have been very easy for them to become negative, to live lives going, "Oh, it's terrible, it's bad, it's all awful, it's bad." Uh, you know, kind of like we hear a lot today, right? People saying it's all bad. But through the entire letter, Paul has spoken about a recurring theme that comes in right here in verse four again for like the eleventh or twelfth time in the book. And it's the, it's the word joy in some form or fashion. It's whether it's rejoicing or finding joy or being joyful. It's a choice that we have to make in life because listen, we only got one life to live. We only have one path through this world right and we can either use it in a way that is negative and awful and' is terrible and pitiful or we can choose rejoicing one scholar noticed this noticed, noticed, uh, noted this he said people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord are not apt either to give offense or to take offense their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. And he goes on to say this, Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. I suspect Paul's thought here is basically this. If you can get yourself centered so much on the Lord, center your life so much on the way He is and who He is and what He's about, in that moment you will find that you won't fall into the negativity around you. I don't know about you, but I've noticed negativity is everywhere, isn't it? I sometimes struggle with it in my own life. I want to become negative. I'm I'm pretty sure that many of you struggle with that. It's part of who we are. But we have to choose to rejoice. It's entirely possible the church of Philippi was dealing not only with internal strife between the diversity of people within the church, but they were also dealing with population uh, in general that would be attacking them. Philippi was a city that was a Roman colony, where many of the former military guys in the Roman legion would go to live, kind of like moving to Mexico in your retirement. You'd go live in a cool, a really nice environment, a warm place on the beach almost. They were actually in the the hills, but they were still in a beautiful place. And they, they would have their preferences and their way and their background. And they would have struggles with these new Christians who had different things they thought and different ways they lived. And so the people who followed Jesus had to make a choice, just like we do. Will I choose rejoicing or not? But understand this choice is more than just an internal decision. You say, okay, I'm going to be more rejoice. I want to be more joyful. I'm just going to do it. You ready? Let's just do it this season. That's not what he's talking about exactly. He's actually talking about not the idea of self thought and positivity, like I'm going to be good. I'm going to be great. I'm not going to have any room for what was the guy that used to say, no stinking thinking around here. You know, was that Zig Ziglar years ago that said that? Instead, the focus here is on the Lord. Because as they centered their lives on the truth of God, as we center our lives, as they centered their lives on the truth of God, then what happens is the joy of the Lord begins to grow in their lives because it's part of their spiritual walk. So the choice we make is we're saying, okay, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to let him fill me with his presence. And it's the choice we all have to make. How are we going to live our lives? With the Lord or away? Second, we've got to make another choice. We've got to choose gentleness. Now, you're going, I didn't see the word gentleness in the text. Look at the verse again. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonable uh, that's translated reasonableness is a Greek word, epiakos. There's no later, so don't worry about writing that one down. But Epiachus, it actually has an interesting broad, breadth of meaning. And the scholars who translate the original text into English so that you and I can read them, they struggle with this word of how to bring it in. If you look at different translations, you'll see different words here. Uh, you've got some that are reasonableness, like the ESV does. Another is gentleness. Uh, still others are mildness, uh, moderation, gentleness unwillingness to contend says, I'm not going to be that way. The big idea I think is this, even when we are absolutely certain we're right. Any of you ever been there? I am certain I'm right. We choose to lovingly relate to those with whom we disagree. Boy, that's a word our culture today could use, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that so often when we get to a place where we have our decision, we have our opinion, and if somebody disagrees with them, we want, what we want to do at that moment is take them and pigeonhole them into this category that they're worthless and useless and they're no more over one issue. That's not reasonable. And that's not what children of God do. Think about the story of Jesus at Jacob's well. You remember that story? Jesus and his disciples have been in Jerusalem. They had to kind of escape town because they were going to get in trouble with the authorities. And so they headed north up into the region that at the time was called Samaria. And they stopped at Jacob's well. Yeah, that Jacob from the Old Testament. And the disciples said, well, we're hungry. So let's go down to McDonald's and get some food. That would be a modern interpretation of what they did, okay? What they did is they went to the marketplace in town to go get groceries so they could make lunch for the team. And in the process, Jesus stayed at the well. Do you remember what happened when he stayed at the well? A woman shows up. Do you remember who she was? She was the Samaritan woman. We don't get her name, but we do learn a lot about her. What do we learn about her? She had been married how many times? Four times? And she was living with a guy who wasn't her husband now. Man, you talk about a cultural shock to a Jewish fella named Jesus sitting there. That was bad stuff. But do you remember how Jesus responded to her? He called the authorities and said, Hey, she's living with this guy. Let's get some stones. Let's stone her and get rid of her. That's not what he did. What he did was reasonable. You remember his interaction with her. He spoke compassionately to her. He didn't let her off the hook. He spoke directly to her. He didn't like ignore her. He also spoke gently to her because he wanted to lead her into a better way. And that is a perfect example of how we're supposed to be as well. To have this gentleness, this reasonableness in our lives that we let the Lord Jesus fill us with his presence and love people. Within the original word is also the thought of a person who says, I'm not going to fight the battle. Why? Why? Because the Lord's gonna fight the battle. Who fights our battles for us? Well, I gotta take care of it. I gotta fix it. I gotta take care of it. No, I don't. If I do that, I'd be running around fighting battles all the time, wouldn't I? This issue, this issue, what? We live in a day, I know this is a shock to y'all, we live in a day when people are ready to fight at the drop of a hat. One word, one comment, one errant viewpoint, one action outside of what is of what the offended thinks is acceptable. Well, even an honest mistake. Man, the battle's on. We're going to tear them a new one, as we might say in our our day. And it may not be a physical fight. It may be a what? A verbal fight. Have you ever gotten or watched? I haven't gotten in one of these, but I have watched social media battles go on between people. Back and forth. Back and forth. And you go, oh my goodness. i got more important things to do with my life than to engage in that. Again, I'm kind of weird enough that I'll sit there and read some of them to see what they're talking about. But I think, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way, to take offense. There's coming a day, my friends, if we can grasp the big picture, though, that God is on His throne, that He's in charge, He's in control, that He's going to send His Son to end the world one day. How do we not take up offense? Because we know that one day what's going to happen? God's going to settle it all out. He's going to bring it to an end, and it's all going to be done. And the better way to live is with gentleness. With reasonableness, because the Lord's at hand. Third choice we have to make is what we've talked about a couple of times this fall, because it really fit into this last series with James. But is the idea of prayerfulness that we choose prayerfulness? Now, what does that mean? Look at verse six. He says, "Do not be anxious." Got with me about what? Anything. Yeah, but I got this area that I'm going to be anxious about. I'm going to keep this part for me because I want to be anxious about this area because I'm not sure how this is going to work. He says, and by the way, the Greek here is very explicit and clear. It is a command, do not. It's like when the kids are doing something they're not supposed to and you look at them and say, do not do that again. You ever had to say that to your kids? Yeah, me too. I heard it a lot when I was a kid. Dad would say, do not. Mom would say, do not. This is a command from God through the writer, Paul, to the church at Philippi. He says, do not be anxious about anything. That's not easy. But in everything, by what? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we, we have a call to choose joy. We have a call to choose gentleness. And then he says, here's a call to prayerfulness. When we stop to think about the overarching theme here is depending on God instead of self, a call to prayer is not unexpected. it's not even surprising if you think about it in that context. Because at the very heart, prayer is what? Let me give you a short definition of prayer. This is my short definition of prayer. It's saying this. It's my personal declaration of dependence on God. When I choose to not pray on a regular basis, I'm choosing to live my life independently of God. I can do this. I can handle this. I'll take care of this. I'll do this. I'll get there. When I choose to live my life prayerfully, I'm saying, God, I need you. It's my declaration of dependence. But notice the thought here. Be anxious for nothing. Not if you feel like it. Not if if it's all going all right. No, he says, don't be anxious. Again, you said, okay, all right, here's our challenge. We got to not be anxious. Stop. What we, we so often as humans want to do this. We want to fix it ourselves. We want to take care of it ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I phrase these as choices, but ultimately they're a bigger choice behind the choice. And it's this, it's that we're saying, God, I'm going to choose to follow you. I want to choose to let you lead. So when we come to the Lord and say, God, I'm choosing to follow you and I'm choosing to have conversation with you, what we're saying is this, God, you're in control. You're leading. You're working all things for my good. And when we choose anxiousness instead of prayerfulness, we're saying, God, I don't need you. But I do. Why would we do that? The better approach... Is for everything, and I think Paul means everything, to be covered, slathered, soaked in prayer. You know, there's no area of your life, of my life, that God doesn't care about, that he doesn't want to have a conversation with you about, doesn't want to listen to you about. You say, well, I can handle this, and I can, you know, you know, I can handle a lot of it, but I don't need to. I need to choose him. And my dependence and he lays it out in a way that it's a twofold thing he says prayer and supplication did you notice that in the text they're actually a little bit subtle difference in meaning between those two the former prayer is this communication with god the latter supplication is saying okay god i want you to do something would you move we actually have to make the request not because god doesn't know but we need that declaration of dependence we're saying god i need you and we do it with an attitude of thankfulness. God, you can do it. And if we do all three of those things, guess what comes out of it? Number four, we discover God's peace. Discover God's peace. Any of you want peace in your life? Oh, no, I like battles. I like to fight. You know, there's some people like that. I have had family members that like to do that. You know, the holiday season for me is sometimes not fun because they want to just fight. And I just look at them and go, hmm, I love you. Just gonna love you and be here. I pray harder. Any of you have those in your family? I guess I'm just lucky. I guess. All right. Within the pages of Scripture, there's actually three aspects of peace, and there's two or three different things, three different ways you can look at it in the Scriptures. The first one is this: there's peace from God. In other words, that God gives us a peace into our lives. And it comes from God's hand. The other, another one is this, that we have peace with God. When you meet Jesus as Savior, guess what you find? You find peace with God. But here, it's the third meaning, and it's the peace of God. Peace mentioned in this verse is the outcome of rejoicing in the Lord, choosing a pathway of gentleness, and living a thankful heart. So what is the peace that Paul writes about here? One scholar said it this way, the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God the eternal composure of the absolutely well contented god and you're going wow that's a bunch but catch this the peace of god is not beyond our capacity to comprehend i can i can comprehend it but i probably can't explain it can you explain the peace of god to me i could try but i'd fail This surpassing peace isn't merely unable to be understood by worldly peace people. I really think that those of us who know the Lord sometimes struggle with how to explain it. How do you explain the peace of God? Well, I just have it. That's the answer I often hear when people say, how do you explain the peace of God? Well, I just know it. I just have it. I just live it, right? How do you explain it? I don't know. It's something that you have to experience to get it. And it's something experienced by those who answer the call of God in their lives to follow him. And what Paul is telling them is this. As they make the conscious decision to follow Jesus, making a commitment and rejoicing, living gently, being thankful, is then they will find what? God's peace. The word used here is actually a military term. When he says to guard your hearts, you know, I was never in the military. Some of you were, but it's the idea of when you come up to a military base and there's a a guard check, and he's holding a piece of metal that will throw out pieces of metal. You know, with me, that if I go through the wrong place, I'm going to get to experience some of that. That's the idea that God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard, it will service the guard house, guard tower to your heart, to your mind, and protect you from the stuff that's around you. Does that mean you won't have to experience it? Not not at all. But it means he's going to stay right there with you. No matter what comes in life, whether good or bad, or somewhere between God's peace, says, I'm going to remain with you. And when we don't have his peace, we find ourselves living in an un- unguarded palace, or a place where God is not allowed to reign. So what do you do with this? Three quick things. Three quick things. Number one, joy is a daily choice. It really is. And ultimately that joy is based on us saying, I'm going to relate to the God of the universe today. Not he's going to be out there somewhere and I know he exists, but we're actually going to relate to him and have a conversation with him and talk with him. You see, every day we wake up is a gift from God. I think the older I get, the more I realize that. The older family members get, the more I realize that's a gift that we get to have that conversation. And he's given us the potential of living for him and blessing those around us with his presence that's within us. So I can get up today, I can get up tomorrow, you can get up today or tomorrow and say, today, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice. Y'all know that verse? Or I can rise up and say, oh man, another day to struggle. Oh, my back hurts. Everything's terrible. I gotta pay bills. I gotta go do this. I got go. Y'all with me? Does that mean if we don't talk about it, it of course your back may still hurt. and Yeah, you're going to still have to pay your bills. And yeah, you're going to have to go these. But we don't have to have a negative attitude about it, right? We have to say, I'm going to live my life with the Lord, in the Lord, through the Lord, and let Him work through me. Oh my goodness. We ought to be the examples of positivity, not negativity to the world we live in, folks, if we follow Jesus. Allowing Him to transform us from negative thinking to positive thinking. After all, those of us who know Jesus we're living in the very presence of God you ever thought about that I think we know that but we forget that don't we we forget that I woke up this morning why because the king of kings and lord of lords has given me another day to live and I want to be joyful in it we've been immensely blessed and that has nothing to do with what stuff we have and what stuff we don't have we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning it's not about whether I have a lot or not it's about who I have and who has me in the Lord. I'm reminded of the words of the writer of Proverbs. He says this The hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. You go, Well, I don't know if I'm righteous or not. Let me tell you something. If you're in follow, a follower of Jesus and he's placed his Holy Spirit within you, you have a righteousness within you that is not your own, it is from God. You have a righteousness in you, and that should bring about in your life joy. If you don't have that righteousness, you got a problem we need to talk about. But the reality is if you are a follower of Christ, then you have this righteousness, and it brings a joy. But the expectation of the wicked is what? They're going to perish. Oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to die. I'm going to, oh. There's more to it than that. Hey, you can have a bad day, but in the path of righteousness, we discover we have joy. I can find the good in all things, not because I am such a positive person, but because I serve a positive God that loves me and loves you. I love the old saying, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And I have to make a choice every day. I have to make a conscious decision that says, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to live with joy, not negativity. Number two, I can have my daughter give you this one. Jesus, people rise above There really is supposed to be a difference between us and the people who don't know God. You know that? There really is supposed to be a tangible difference in our lives because we follow Jesus, what I'm calling Jesus' people. In every circumstance we encounter, we have a decision to make. How am I going to live? Am I going to settle for the ways of the world, or am I going to rise above? I'm reminded of the story. Y'all probably know who they are. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Y'all remember that story in the Old Testament? Oh, wait, wait. Y'all know them as Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego, their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But anyway, you remember the Chaldean names. But you remember these two, these three boys. They were taken forcibly from their homes, taken off to a foreign land as spoils of war. They were forced to work in in, in the administration of a pagan king and didn't get to live the life that they thought they were going to have by living in God's land near Jerusalem. But they were also faced a day when the king decided he would set up this golden idol, you know, People in power, uh, especially in government power, seem to have come up with some weird ideas sometimes, don't they? I think I'll set up a golden idol and everybody lay down and fall down and worship it. Who in the world thinks of that kind of stuff, you know, except for those kind of folks? But anyway, that's what happened. As the day approached for this special worship service, you remember the story, the golden idol is set up and these three guys had a choice to make. Would they sink to the culture and do what everybody else was doing? Or would they? Rise above. Everybody seems to be doing it. Must be okay. You remember what happened? Here's what happened. Daniel three sixteen says this. Shadrach Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, "Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king." And it went on to say, "And even if he doesn't, it's okay." The most important thing is doing what God calls us to do, to rise above and do what's right. I'm convinced whatever cost following God takes is always better than the cost that we will pay from rejecting his ways. You say, well, it's easier to not follow it sometimes. Yeah, I understand. But it's way more expensive to not follow his ways than to do it in the end. One more thought, and I'll be done. We've got to jettison anxiety. There's a thought I think we need uh, to, we all need to some degree, is that we have to say, I'm going to let anxiety go. And some of you might say something like this, but I don't know what will happen if I choose his peace. I don't know what will happen if I follow his ways. I don't know what will happen if I say yes. He, He might ask me to take this bold stand with my friends, my neighbors, or worse, my family. I might find myself as an outcast. I don't think I can. I don't think I can let that anxiety go. I. I just. I. I, I, I'm afraid. Let me remind you of what Paul told Timothy as he was serving on the island of Crete as a pastor. He said this: God gave us a spirit, not of fear, not of fear, but of what? Power and love and self-control. In Christ, this is what He gave you. You go, well, I don't feel like it. Let it loose in your life. You've got it. You just didn't let Him work in you. The Spirit living within us as followers of Jesus leads us to find this inner peace, that tranquility. And as we walk in the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glorious way we find. We see where He leads. We do what He says. And we choose to what? The old song said to trust and obey. But let me remind you, this pathway of peace is unattainable, unattainable without a relationship with God. It's unattainable until you come to the place where you say, God, I need you more than I need anything else in life. I need to follow you. We come to this place where we recognize our need not only to be saved but to move forward in that spiritual development, to acknowledge our sin as sin, to confess them to God and let Him bring forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I've never done that. That's where peace really comes from. You've got to make peace with God and then peace will flow like a river in you. We want to give you an opportunity to respond here in a moment. Maybe you need to make that peace with God. We want to give you that opportunity. Maybe there's other decisions you need to make. We're going to open the door for that as well. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us and your grace. Father, because of your grace, you've given us a new day. Because of your grace, you've given us the opportunity to respond to you and follow you. And we pray for those in this room who need to make a decision of some kind. Father, whether it's to trust you for the first time, whether it's to turn back over control to you because we've taken it away and we're trying to run it ourselves. Father, we pray that your hand would lead us in these moments and show us what we need to do. In Jesus' name.